0: Morning, Bridge family. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Is anybody happy to be in the house this morning on <laughs> this special day? <laughs> Me too. I'm happy that you are here, and we are so glad that we get to spend Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, with you. My name is Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Bridge. And I have the great opportunity to get to share God's word with you on Easter Sunday. So again, thank you for being here today. You know, this weekend is so special for those of us who hold like faith that we follow Christ and we call ourselves Christians as we arrive at this weekend, there are two pictures that I think all of us come to when we think about Easter and Easter weekend. The first picture, of course, is the cross. And then the second picture is the empty tomb. On Friday, Good Friday, I hope that you, like me, took time to reflect upon all that Jesus did at the cross. And then today, when we come together and look at the empty tomb, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I point out those two pictures very quickly today because when I think about those two pictures, I think of... Two things that represent two different things. The cross first represents a place of death, a place of payment or a place of punishment for wrongdoing or for sin. And then the empty tomb over here represents new life or freedom for the future. The cross, death, the empty tomb, life. Two things that represent two things that would appear to be and seem to be opposite. But somehow, some way, God in his goodness takes death and life and makes them work together for our good, and at the end of the day, we're celebrating as a result of what Christ did. What an amazing thing that Jesus did for us on Easter weekend, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we get into the message, I want to give you one big overarching thought to hold on to today as we move forward, because I think it's important that we ponder this thought. The thought is simply this, if you're taking notes or maybe you want to grab your phone real quick and just write this down, jot it down to look at later. But the thought is simply this, we cannot comprehend the value of life until we've considered the price of death. We cannot comprehend the value of life until we've considered The price of death. You see, it's the price of death that allows us to understand the value of life. And that's why God made these two things, death and life, work hand in hand for our good and for our benefit. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, life at the price of death. But before we get into these passages of scripture I want to look at today, I want to take a moment and I want to ask everybody a question. This isn't just a collective rhetorical question, but instead it's a very personal question. And it might sound silly to some, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You ready? Why did you come today? Why did you come today? Again, I know that might sound funny to some because maybe you hear that and you're like, Zach, are you kidding? I'm in church every Sunday. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. It's my custom to be in the house of God on Sundays. So there's no way that I would miss out on Easter Sunday on the resurrection of Jesus. And we celebrate with you today. We're so grateful for your enthusiasm about this day. Because for those of you who are regulars in the house of God, it's your enthusiasm that adds to this experience for everybody that will show up on Easter Sunday. So again, we celebrate with you. We thank you for being here today. But we also recognize that there are some people that come today and you say, you know, honestly, Zach, I- I'm not always in church. I come occasionally. Maybe, you know, show up on Christmas and Easter, and I'm I'm not in church as often as I want to be or maybe as often as I should be, but I'm certainly a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm not gonna miss Resurrection Sunday. I made it a priority to be here today. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter if you come two times a year or you come to two services every weekend. We are grateful that you are here, and we want you to know that you're welcome here today, and we appreciate your presence (laughs) in the house of God on Easter Sunday. Then I also recognize Because we've heard this week after week over the last few months when we've been back here in church. It seems like almost every Sunday we meet people who say, Zach, this is our very first time being back in church in over two years. I know that for many people it took a little bit of time to figure out when you were gonna come back into the house of God. And today maybe it's your very first time back in a little over two years being in church. And I want to say it one more time, it doesn't matter if it's been two years or it's been two weeks, we welcome you back into the family of God on Easter Sunday, and we are so glad that you are here today taking your place in the family. Then I also recognize that there will probably be some people here today that when I ask you that question, why did you come, maybe the answer is, I don't know, I'm not sure. Because maybe you didn't come for you. Maybe the highest reason that you came today was because your mom or your grandma bugged you so bad about being in church on Easter Sunday (laughs) that you had to be here to make them happy. Or maybe there was a friend or a coworker or a neighbor or somebody in your life that tagged you three times on Instagram with our invitations saying you need to be in church on Easter Sunday and I'm gonna save you a seat. And again, maybe your highest reason for being here today was just to satisfy the request of the person who kept bugging you to be here today. I want to say to everybody that came here today that didn't come for you, you came just to make somebody else happy. I believe with all of my heart that God wants to meet with you today. And you might not have come planning to have an encounter with God, but I want you to know that God came planning to have an encounter with you. And it's my hope and my prayer that before you leave this place today, you'll feel His warmth and His embrace, and he'll just let you know how much He loves you before you walk out the doors of this place today. in Jesus name. Why did you come? That's a question many people asked about Jesus when he began his earthly ministry. At about the age of 30, Jesus began to travel from town to town, village to village. And most of the time, he was talking about this idea of the kingdom of God. And people wanted to know, who who is this guy and why did he come? What's his purpose? What's his mission? A lot of people wanted to know, did he come just to be another teacher of our Jewish tradition? A lot of people wondered, did he come to expand upon the moral code or establish a moral code for us that's greater than what's been given to us? Some wondered, is he a prophet? Is he a voice sent from God to bring us direction or correction in our lives? Many people even wondered, did he come to establish a new religion among us? And then there were few who asked that question deep in their heart, is it possible that this man is actually the promised Messiah, the one who would come and save us? People asked that question over and over looking for an answer, Jesus, why did you come? I wanna look at three passages of scripture today very quickly that I think help to answer that question. The first one, I think, is the most direct answer that we get, and it's found in John chapter 10. For those of us who know our Bibles well, that have been walking with God for a long time, you'll know this passage of Scripture. It's John 10 and verse 10. But before we read the whole Scripture, I want to just take the second half of it, because the second half of John 10, 10, Jesus gives a very direct answer as to why he came. Jesus says these words in verse 10, the second half, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And that sounds nice, we hear those words, Jesus came to bring us life, but I'm going to be honest with you, in my humanity, if I just take that scripture, if I just take that one statement, and I look at it on the surface, it makes me ask a few questions. In my humanity, I have to ask this question, Jesus, you came to bring life, and that sounds nice, but what is it about the life you're trying to give me that's better than the life that I already have? Because for most of us, I think we define life a certain way. If you're anything like me, I tend to define my life by everything that I can measure with my five senses. I think about my life. I think about the breath in my lungs, my family, my wife, my kids. You might think about your career. You might think about your loved ones, your community, your hobbies, your possessions, the things that bring a certain sense of happiness and value to your life. And all of those things are things that we measure through our five senses. That's what we tend to use to define Life, But when Jesus said that I've come to bring you life, here there's a word that he uses, and it gets translated in the original language to this Greek word, zoe. And it's a word that literally means the life of the divine, life only given by God. In other words, it's the kind of life that completely transcends and completely supersedes any kind of life we could experience on earth or create for ourselves with our hands. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, but it's not the life as you've always known it. It's a different kind of life. It's zoe, it's the life of God, the life of the divine, that God kind of life. I've come to do something different. But again, in order for us to understand the value of life, we must go back and consider the price of death. Because when Jesus starts talking about this idea of life, he's contrasting it with the first half of the verse, the first part that we didn't read. Let's read the whole thing. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus acknowledges at the beginning that there is a thief, a devourer. We know him as the devil. Jesus says that the thief comes into this world to do three things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. The original language literally means super abundance and overflow and excess of God's life available to us. We hear those words and we think to ourselves, okay, so God wants to give me something that's bigger and better. And he compares it to what it is that the thief is trying to do. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Because you see, for all of us as human beings, we know what it's like to live in a world that is continually and constantly surrounded by theft, death, and destruction. If you got up this morning and watched the news for five minutes, I guarantee you, you heard ten times more bad news than good news. Why? Because we live in a fallen, sinful world, and we are continually surrounded by theft, death, and destruction. And Jesus compares death to life, and what he's trying to help us to understand is that the results that end up in theft, death, and destruction all come from the thief, the devourer, the devil. And our very sinful condition that we're we're born into when we come into life, it's all a result of poor choices or the sin of those who have gone before us. And Jesus acknowledges that there's a divide because of our sin between us and God. And he said, because of that divide, your life could be defined by theft and death death and destruction. But I've come to bring a new kind of life that supersedes anything you might have experienced here on this earth. I came to bring you life that is abundant, that is so much bigger, it's so much greater. It's the life of God, alive and active and available to you. That's why I've come. And Jesus gets this point across. I think it's so important for us to understand that in order for us to access that life, a price had to be paid through death. If you go on and you read verse 11 in John 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd or the great shepherd. And he says, "What is it that the good shepherd does? He lays down his life for the sheep." And again, if you were to just read through this quickly, you might not pick up on but what Jesus is doing here is he's dropping breadcrumbs for people who would pick up the scent and follow and understand that not figuratively, but quite literally Jesus was going to go and lay down his life. That would be the price paid. For the life that he promised, death. And before we move forward, I want to give you one big broad thought or point to hold on to before we move on to the next thing. And it's simply this Jesus was saying that because of the thief and because of our sin, we've been separated from God. But he came to bring us back to life and give us back that life that God originally intended for us to have in the first place. When you read the story of the garden, maybe you've done that in the beginning in Genesis 1 and you see everything that God made available to Adam and Eve. You say, wouldn't it be great if God gave that same opportunity to me if he set me up for success the way he did them? Can I tell you something? Because of Jesus, all the life of God that was given in the beginning is now available to us, but it came at a cost. It came because of the life of Jesus being laid down in death. And if we would put our faith in that sacrifice, we could experience life, a transcending life, that covers the gulf, that bridges the gap between us and God, that we could be reunited in relationship. I want to say to every single person in the house today, Jesus gave his life. That was the price he paid so that you could have a life better than anything you've ever experienced on this earth. Zoe, the God kind of life. But Jesus expands on this idea in the very next chapter, in John chapter 11. And I want to look at a very personal story for Jesus because we see such a great picture of Jesus' humanity in this picture in John 11. See, in John 11, Jesus is actually out traveling and ministering, and he has these three friends that live in the town of Bethany, and they're siblings, Mary and Martha, the two sisters, and their brother, Lazarus. Many of you will know this story, but I love the picture of humanity that we see here with Jesus because Jesus is afar, he's out traveling, he's out ministering, and Lazarus falls sick. He becomes ill, ill to the point of death. And Mary and Martha begin to send out word to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, we believe you're the Son of God. We believe that you have healing, miracle-working power in your hands, and that if you just come and lay hands on our brother Lazarus, you can spare his life, you can save his life, and he won't succumb to his illness. They believed it with all of their heart. But Jesus continued to travel, and Jesus continued to preach and to minister, and to their disappointment, he didn't come quick enough because very soon what we see in the story is that Lazarus, surprisingly, dies of his illness. And it brings about this amazing hurt in the hearts of Mary and Martha. And We see just a few days later that Jesus actually arrives back in Bethany. And when he gets there, he finds a village that's just grieving the loss of this beloved son, Lazarus. And he gets there, and I talked about that picture of Christ's humanity. The beauty of it is that there's two grieving sisters and that when Jesus shows up, he doesn't start barking commands and he doesn't try to take over the situation. Instead, he steps up right alongside them. And the shortest verse in the Bible tells us that Jesus literally stood there and wept with Mary and Martha over the loss of life in Lazarus. What we see is this picture of humanity where there's real true agony and grief and loss that Jesus is feeling right alongside Mary and Martha. And I know for a lot of us, you know, we talk about, Death and theft and destruction. A lot of times we experience loss in this life that brings about grief and sorrow in our own lives and we have a hard time dealing with it. And sometimes it brings us even to the point of looking at God and saying, God, why did that happen? Why did I have to experience this loss and this pain and this hurt and why does this have to define my existence? And I want to say to every person in the house today that might feel like loss is defining your existence today, that there is no loss, there is no hurt, there is no death, there is no grief that you might be experiencing that Jesus himself did not feel as well. And in this life, we're not promised to walk through it without feeling those feelings, but the one promise we have is that Christ will be with us in the midst of that that challenge. And Jesus arrives and he grieves with Mary and Martha. But in the midst of their grief, grief, Jesus does something totally bold, and I would even say crazy. Jesus has bold words for Mary and Martha, and he begins to speak to them. In verse 23 of John 11, Jesus says to them, "Your brother will rise again." Jesus better know what he's talking about if he's going to say something like that." And he goes on, and Martha looks at him and says, "I know that he will rise again, Jesus, in the resurrection." on the last day, and what she's talking about here is that resurrection at the end of all things where God will take those who have passed on and bring them into eternity with him. She believed that in her heart, those promises of God that go all the way back into the Old Testament, and she held it here. But Jesus arrives on the scene to update Martha's theology and let her know that it's a little bit different than she thought it was gonna be. Look at what Jesus says next in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though they may die, they shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And what Jesus is simply trying to get across to Martha right here is that resurrection, Martha, is not one day. Resurrection is right now because I am the resurrection and I am the life. And if you want to find new life, you just come to me and follow me and I'll take you that direction. And if you know the rest of the story, then you know what happens next. Jesus does something that's even more bold and maybe even a little bit crazier. Jesus walks up to this tomb and he tells the village people there, the village people, the townspeople. (laughs) You guys got a crazy picture in your head when I saw that. He looks at the townspeople and he says, roll away the stone. Lazarus has been in that grave for four days. And they said, are you crazy, Jesus? As soon as they roll that stone away, there's going to be a stench that's going to come and fill this place up, and that's crazy. Other people looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you understand that if you remove that stone, you're about to bring shame upon this family. There's a dead body in that grave. But what they didn't know was that Jesus was not afraid of the death that lay inside of that grave, and he was about to speak new life over it. When they rolled that stone away, Jesus speaks up, begins to call the name of Lazarus, says, Lazarus, 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 come forth, come up out of that grave. The next thing we see in the picture is Lazarus walking out of that tomb to the shock and amazement of everybody who stood there that day. The reason I tell you that story is not to celebrate the resurrection of Lazarus, but instead to celebrate the fact that Jesus came and proved to everybody that resurrection power, that Zoe life was alive in him and we could access it if we would choose to put our faith in him. The second thought I want to give you before we move to the very last picture is simply this. Jesus was saying to everyone who would hear that day that resurrection is not just what I do, but resurrection is who I am. And if anyone wants to know eternal life and overcome death, it is only found through me. Resurrection life is available in the person of Jesus Christ and nowhere else, and I'm grateful for that this morning. And finally, the third picture that I want to point to that talks about why Jesus came, coming to give us life. You know, Jesus grew intimately close with his disciples, his closest 12 that walked with him, talked with him, lived with him, traveled with him. And pretty soon, Jesus knew that there was coming a time where he was going to have to go to the cross. And eventually, in a big picture sense, he was going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and take his rightful place on the throne of God in heaven. And Jesus began to explain this to his disciples, but they were having a hard time with it because they did not want Jesus to leave. They didn't want to see Jesus go. Jesus, who had taught to them, who had shown the ways of God and the kingdom of God to them, who had healed the sick and restored sight to the blind, they didn't want to see Jesus go. He had given them purpose. And Jesus begins to explain to them that he's got to go and that the cross is going to be a part of that process. John 14, we see him explaining it to his disciples, and this is what he says. He says, let not your heart be troubled, because you believe in God, so believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare that place, I will come again, and I'll receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way to get there you know also. And there's this one disciple that Jesus had, and I identify with him even though he sometimes gets a bad rap. There's a guy named Thomas. For those of us who have been walking with God, who have been in church for a long time, Thomas is quite often known as Doubting Thomas. I'm just going to be honest with you for a moment. I've walked through seasons of my life where I was challenged by the word of God and the promises of God. And I had doubts and questions about how it was that God was going to do what he promised to do in my life. How are you going to do this? Thomas was a guy that always had questions and sometimes those questions led to doubts. And Thomas speaks up right here and he says something interesting to Jesus because Jesus has laid this way for him to live and he speaks up and he says, Lord, we don't know where you are going and we don't know the way to get to the place you're saying you're going to go. And what's fascinating about it is that I'm reminded right here that in the middle of Thomas's doubts, Jesus Jesus isn't afraid to try to answer his questions. You might have come into this place today and maybe you were invited to come When you think about being in church, you're like, yeah, I'm not so sure about this God thing, this church thing, all the people that are there. I don't fully understand it. I don't know why I need to go. Maybe when you think about that whole equation, you got a lot of questions, or more specifically, maybe you have doubts. I want to say to every doubter in the house, God's not afraid of your biggest questions and your biggest doubts. And he's so much bigger than any question you could ever ask. And you might not have all the answers that you're looking for by the, t- by the time that this day is over, but the one thing Jesus is saying is that if you will follow me, I'm gonna lead you to the cross and on the other side of the cross, I'm gonna show you the life that you've been searching for. And Jesus, Thomas speaks up and says, Jesus, we don't know where you're going and we certainly don't know how to get there. What does this even mean? And Jesus comes back and he says, Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father, God in heaven, except through me. See, for all of us who have questions, doubts, concerns, Jesus answers them super quick and he says, I'm the way. When you see that word way in the original writings, it literally means the road or the path. You want to find the path to heaven? Follow Jesus, he'll lead you there. You want to find the path to meaning? Follow Jesus and he'll lead you there. He said, I am the truth. A lot of us walk through life searching for truth, we're on a quest for truth to lead us to the answers that we long for in our soul. Jesus said these words in another passage. He said, if you know my word, you are my disciple and you know the truth and the truth will set you free. I wanna say to every truth searcher in the house today that truth is found in one person. It's found in Jesus Christ and he can settle all of your questions in the blink of an eye. But then Jesus says, I'm the life. That Zoe life, that divine life that you're searching for, that you're looking for, that's better than anything you can create with your hands, it's only found through me. Jesus quickly answers Thomas's questions, even though he has questions and doubts about the process. Last thing I want to say very quickly from this passage, that Thomas came, or excuse me, Jesus was saying, Thomas, I came to bring you back to life and to lead you to the Father. But in order to find that life, you're going to have to first follow me to the cross. Why? Because we don't know the value of life until we've considered the price of death. We've looked at these three pictures in Scripture, I think back to John 10 when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, I lay my life down for my sheep. He promised life, that Zoe life, that transcending life. I wonder how many people made a decision to follow Jesus and that path that he led them on and led them on suddenly led to a cross where he was hung there to die like a common sinner. How many of those people were disappointed thinking that that life he had promised was dead right then and there? I think about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They literally saw Jesus bring Lazarus back to life by speaking life over him but now suddenly the man who spoke life and raised the life from the dead is hanging on the cross, dying a sinner's death. Is that life that he truly promised still alive? Is it still accessible? Is it still available? They probably had the wonders. They probably had their questions and their doubts. Now, imagine Jesus' disciples, the ones who knew him best, the ones who saw all the miracles and the things that he had done. Thomas had doubts and Jesus put answers to his questions and he, he brought about confidence rather than doubt. But then suddenly Jesus hangs on a cross and doubting Thomas is left there wondering, is the life that he promised still alive? Is it still accessible? The one who promised life hangs on a cross and the only picture we see is death. Scripture tells us that Jesus became obedient to death. Why? Was it because death had authority over him? No, he submitted to death because he understood that his life was the price for our salvation. He knew what the price was and he also understood the value of our lives so he was willing to pay it and lay down his life. Imagine the son of God, the sinless, spotless lamb of God hanging from a cross, dying a death that he didn't deserve. And imagine the hopelessness that came along with every one of those people in his story. Our Lord, our master, fallen, dead. Darkness descended, hope vanished tomb sealed, and then silence. Then a sound, a shake, louder still, quaking earth, roaring heaven, rolling stone, and then an empty tomb. And the angel who says, why do you search for the living among the dead? For he is risen as he said. Jesus alive, hope alive faith alive our future alive the life that Jesus promised all along still alive and through his death and his victorious resurrection today we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ himself has brought us back to life
1: no longer I who live but Christ in
0: so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone that whoever whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting eternal life that's the promise that we have because of what jesus did at the cross and because of the empty tomb this past friday in my own family we experienced the death of a loved one a family member and it happened a little sooner and quicker than we anticipated happened on Friday morning it was a real heavy thing for us I sat there all day long pondering the fact that that death had come on good Friday it occurred to me that day if it hadn't been for Jesus that would have been bad Friday because there'd be no hope and death would have been the final answer and the final verdict but on Fridays we sat there thinking about the loss of somebody that we love because of Jesus we could look ahead to Sunday knowing that resurrection was just right around the corner I want to say to every person in the house today even if you feel like your life is surrounded by theft and death and destruction resurrection is right around the corner if you just put your faith in Jesus we say all the time that while this is resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday if you're a Christian, every day is resurrection day but today maybe you've never had day one of that resurrection in your life what better day to give your life to Christ and choose to follow him and experience that life than today on Easter Sunday you want to know how much God loved you? So much that he gave his very best, Jesus, in exchange for your very worst and my very worst, our sin. Jesus, the sinless spotless lamb of God, came and died a death that we deserve for our sin. But if we would put our faith in that sacrifice, we could experience redemption and forgiveness. And because of his resurrection, we can have eternal life. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave for us so that we wouldn't have to experience it. That's the promise we have of God, and all it takes is us wrapping our faith around that. And we're gonna pray a prayer right now, all together as a family. And I wanna invite everybody to take your place in this prayer, especially if you have never committed your life to Christ. We're gonna play, pray it right out loud. We're not gonna embarrass you or put you on the spot. But if you wanna pray a prayer today to give your life to Christ, we're gonna have to ask you to join in, and it's not about magic words, it's about meaning it with everything in your heart and just confessing it with your mouth. Are you ready? Here we go, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. And I believe that God raised you from the dead, that you conquered death for me. So today I choose you. I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life into eternity. Thank you for what you have done for me. Jesus name. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and welcome some people into God's family today. All right, now I want to ask everybody hang tight for just one moment because this is a big deal. For people that made a decision to follow Christ, this moment means everything. We want to help you start your walk with God. We just want to give you a free gift. It's a simple tool called The Next Seven Days. It's a little book that we want to put in your hand to help you get started. There's two different ways that you can get it. Right after service, we're going to have some prayer teams. They'll be right down here. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision. You want to get that book. And we will help you get started in that journey of faith. We don't need anything from you, but we want to help you in any way that we can. If you just want someone to pray with you, please come talk to one of our prayer teams. That's why they are here. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the Next Seven Days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you go let them know you made that decision to follow Christ. And again, we want to help you get started in your journey of faith. Thank you so much. Congratulations, and welcome to the family of God. I didn't do this in the last two services, but I wanna do it very quickly since we have a moment. I just wanna take a minute. We have a lot of people that have served in all three services today. There's a lot of people that put in a lot of effort to make today happen. And along with our worship team, who has gone real hard since the wee hours of the morning, can we put our hands together and thank everybody who served today?
2: That is right. We have the best teams in the whole, whole world. They're absolutely awesome. Hey, for one more moment, would you just grab a seat really quick as we conclude service? It's the portion of our service where we get to worship God with our giving. And if you're new here, maybe you're visiting, maybe this is your first time with us here at the bridge, I just tell you, there is never any pressure or compulsion to give here at the bridge. We just give because God's been so faithful and so generous to us, we just feel like the response that makes sense is to live lives of generosity and be faithful right back to Him. There's a few options on the screens right here uh, behind me, whatever would work best for you. Also, um, in the seat backs right there, there's some envelopes. If you have a physical gift that you wanna give today, you have two places you could drop that off. Uh, Before you get to the foyer, on either side of the exit doors, there's giving stations right there. There's also one more near the kids check-in right over there. Here's one of the things that I love about the bridge. Um, I actually realized that tomorrow will be six years that I've been here at the bridge on staff. And I was talking to some of, our, um, some of our bridge youth students who have gone off and they're at CBU and they came and they're like, the youth center looks so different and this is so cool. And they're like, so wait, how long have you been here now? And I was like, "Um, I'm counting. I was like, I got here the day after Easter, six years ago. And what I love about the bridge is you just don't have to look far to see God at work. God is doing so much through the ministry here. Here locally, we're meeting needs, tangible needs all around our city and our town but also globally through so many of our missions efforts. This message that God has brought us back to life is going around the world and the ministry is moving forward. And we know this, that the ministry happens because of a faithful God and faithful people like you. So let me just say, thank you so much for being a generous church. Have you enjoyed being in church this Resurrection Sunday? I know I have. Before you go, can I just tell you, there's so much happening in the life of the church even this week Wednesday night we got youth at 7 p.m. Saturday morning we got the men's breakfast happening at 8 30 a.m. Bridge women have connect groups happening all over town all week long and uh this Sunday I'm sorry this yeah this next coming Sunday somebody say next week We got baptisms happening. Baptisms is one of our favorite things around here at the bridge. If you wanna get baptized, uh, go online, thebridgechurch.tv, sign up. It's gonna be absolutely amazing. Before you go, if you need prayer for anything, if you need to chat, maybe you gave your life to Jesus or rededicated your life, our prayer teams are gonna be right down here, down front to chat with you. Hey, one more time, if you enjoyed being in church this morning, nowhere else in the whole world would rather be than right here with you. Have an amazing Easter. Have an amazing week. We'll see you very soon.